This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Jessica Wilde and I'm the Domestic Abuse Lead for Research in Practice. And today we'll be talking about the recently completed Domestic Abuse and Child Protection Change Project. It's a national project with the main aim of exploring and supporting new conceptual and practice developments and responses to families where there's domestic abuse. Um, and it drew upon the latest international research, emerging practice approaches, as well as expertise from people with lived experience to explore possibilities for understanding why domestic abuse is such a key driver of demand and child protection, as well as to understand how we might better respond um, with approaches that are more humane and socially transformative. Another key aim was to collaboratively produce outputs and learning resources which could support policymakers and practitioners in their work supporting families where there's a person causing harm in order to improve the outcomes for children and whole families. And this podcast series represents one of those learning resources, which we hope will go some way to embedding some of the valuable contributions from the leaders and practitioners who were engaged in the project so that their insights can be mobilised and applied elsewhere in the country. So the project was uh, led by Professor Kate Morris of Sheffield University, Professor Bridget Featherstone of Huddersfield and Sharon Inglis of Restorative Practice Consultants. And there were representatives from approximately 30 local authorities and voluntary sector partners who took part in the project. One of the local authorities represented was Bedford. And we have Hamish Bogle here, who's going to talk about his experiences on the project. So Hamish, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes, thank you, Jess. Uh, my name's Harmesh Bogle. Um, I'm Chief Officer, Assistant Director for Children's Services in Bedford Borough Council. Thanks, Harmesh, and thank you again for joining us today um, on this Change Project podcast series. Um, so I'll begin with the first question. Um, so thinking about you, your work locally, um, can you give me a sense of how you and your teams currently approach child protection work with families where domestic abuse is a concern? Yes, thanks, Jess. Um, I suppose where we are is still fairly a traditional approach, if I'm really honest, to um, domestic abuse and child protection in some respects. We have made some moves. We, in terms of the children's services, we've adopted a systemic practice um, framework. Um, but whether or not we have moved far enough in terms of using that approach where domestic abuse is the main feature. Um, I, I'm not convinced yet. Uh, I think we've got further work to do. What was, what was brilliant about the, the change project was that it really allowed us to explore those different approaches in much more detail. And I suppose um, where we are at the moment, we've got a real opportunity to move things along. So. At the moment, like many of the local authorities, we, um, because of the new domestic abuse bill, we have set up a local um, partnership board, uh, and I'm chairing the strategic board. And I think um, I'll certainly be, and I have been talking about a lot of what's come out of the change project to sort of drive some of that change in practice with families where domestic abuse is a feature. Um, the other thing that we, we are having completed as part of that process at the moment is, is safe, we've engaged with Safe Lives who are completing our, our needs assessment. 
So I think there are some real opportunities. And I think also, I think particularly over the last sort of 16 months or so, and through the pandemic, we've had to, to, to look at things differently again. So um, whilst it's been challenging, I think it's brought some real opportunities. So this has come about at the right time. As I say, I think, I think our practice has moved on. I still think that we've got more uh, distance to travel. I think that um, there is still a tendency uh, locally for not, not just Jones's, I think across the partnership, to still seek that sort of safe certainty when it comes to um, working with families where domestic abuse is a feature. And so there is, there is often still this um, approach, which is, well, often the, the victim is, 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 the, is the woman. And so therefore, you know, we have to rescue or we have to make sure that the perpetrator, often the male, is out of the family home and there is separation. I think we have more work to do around um, working with those people. I don't even like using the word perpetrator, to be quite frankly. But working with um, people who whose behaviour is abusive, um, and engaging them in a way where we're able to sort of deal with some of the issues around continued coupling. I think I think it's referred to you know the, a continued relationship between parents. And often we come across families where. Um, you know, parents have more, you know, three or four children, they've been together for 15 odd years. And there is still this view that, you know, we, we turn up and we tell them, you no longer can be together. Well, quite frankly, it's quite unrealistic. And secondly, it has wider, uh, you know, that, that approach isn't really helpful sometimes, particularly for children um, who, regardless of you know what they've experienced and that isn't to minimize it they have a relationship with both parents um, and i think sometimes we still fall into the trap of re-victimizing the victim and putting the emphasis on mothers in particular to safeguard their children to make sure that they're the rather than looking at and working with the reasons that under the uh, the issues of domestic abuse, and, that, and we know that they they can be a wide range of issues. And I suppose one of the things that was really helpful um, on the change project was looking at things like the um, reoccurrence of, of families in proceedings, um, particularly mothers. Um, and fathers actually and we talk about and I remember on the project there was a we we were talking about this issue of hidden males and hidden fathers where actually that's only part of the picture isn't it because there are still men who um, either with their you know partners that they've had for a long time or with new partners that actually present before the court on a number of occasions so all of those things I think we um, need to, to pay more attention to and really start looking at our practice. And as I say, we, we, we've developed, uh, we've, we've got, to, we were using systemic, a systemic practice model, 
And I think we, we need to focus more on those restorative type approaches when it comes to working with families where domestic abuse is a factor. And I, met, I mentioned the partnership earlier. I think one of the things that we need to work on is bringing the partnership with her. There is still a lot of anxiety around managing um, cases where, where, and working with families where domestic abuse is a feature. I think part of that is understanding. And I remember we looked at the typologies, for example, um, is understand, really understanding what that domestic abuse is like uh, and, what, and, you know, what, and, and also what, how that actually impacts on the children. I think, I think we've not, not just locally, I think nationally, we've sort of fallen into a trap where we just say, well, it's domestic abuse. Well, what, what sort of domestic abuse? Why is it happening? Is it situational? Is it, you know, what, what sort of domestic abuse is it? And, and importantly, what sort of, what, what is the impact on the children? So from a children's perspective, you know, can we demonstrate, or, 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 you know, do we really understand what the impact is? So, um, as I say, I think, I think we have, you know, more work to do really uh, um, locally um, and nationally. Yeah, thanks, Hamish. And I mean, you mentioned a few areas there where the Change Project uh, has perhaps begun to shape some of your thinking in terms of how you address some of these challenges. Um, and you mentioned um, kind of the the development of this partnership board. Um, and I wondered if you can kind of expand a bit on that in terms of who have you got around the table um, for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. And, and I think, because again, what the change project helped certainly me think about and is, is exactly that. Who have we got around the table? You know, in these circumstances, you know, in a lot of circumstances, it's sort of got domestic abuse, it's children, it's children's issue. Well, actually, we've, we've made sure that we've got a, a good wide representation, including adult services, police, health, etc. But most importantly, um, we are looking at having um, those with lived experience to be able to be part of that board. One of the most powerful things that, um, you know, I, I was thankful to do experience on the, on the change project was hearing from those people with lived experience, whether it be mothers who have been through the child protection system, or um, what was really powerful was the um, the caring dads. We need to do more of that. I think under really understand the the sort of power differential, why people may behave in a certain way or make certain decisions. Um, and I think only then will we start to get to a point where we can we can. Not shot, you know. It's not. It's not about not not dealing with the risk and managing that, but it's about doing that in a way which is most effective. And as you said, I think you said earlier, Jessica, that, that that's um, that's actually humane. That um, you know, is it, it is not a um, a draconian approach to um, often to domestic abuse, which is, which is often caused by a multiple uh, you know, array of factors. And I think, again, the change project was really helpful in looking at things like intersectionality and, um, and also, you know, 
things like uh, looking at the which families, you know, the the, the effect of um, things like uh, poverty, um, uh, limited life chances, um, repeating family scripts, um, and how different communities have responded to that. And I, and I suppose that's why I'm quite hopeful and excited around. Um, the work that we're doing at the moment in terms of really understanding what that looks like locally as well. So for, for children in, you know, in Bedford and the families in Bedford and, and what that means. And, um, and also we can't, as I mentioned earlier, the impact of, of COVID um, and how that has, you know, further presented challenges for families, children and families who have experienced domestic abuse experiencing domestic abuse. Thanks, Hamish. Um, I think you picked on, on something really key, you know, the viewing domestic abuse um, and families' experiences of it through an intersectional lens was a really key part of the project. And I wondered if you could maybe just expand a little bit about how that's played out locally for you in terms of looking at multiple and kind of diverse experiences of families in Bedford. Um, yeah, I, I think I think so. So, for example, one of the things that um, I've been sort of, I suppose, it's been made us more curious about is things such as disproportionality. So, are we seeing um, more black families or families from um, Asian heritage, or um, you know, and 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 also what that that what that brings it's not just about race but actually there there are other factors at play there you know some of these families um you know live in a, in some of our more deprived communities um less you know their educational um you know access to education training employment all of those issues play have played you know play a part and i think once you start looking at it through that lens, I think it's all again. It's always about understanding properly what is happening within a, a family situation, rather than saying it is just this. It's, it, I suppose it's you know it's that thing you can take a very sort of linear approach to this and say, well, this is domestic abuse, and therefore this is the response. Well, that's not going to be particularly helpful if we if what we want to achieve. Is some meaningful positive change for families, and so we have to be able to we have to understand properly the context in which that is happening and why and how that feeds into that behaviour and also responses why people make certain decisions. So you know we we uh, sure it's not um, well, I'm positive it's not a a unique situation to Bedford, but we often are presented with. Um, so women from uh, women who may have very, very um, uh, well don't have a particular support network. They may have come from overseas, um, and because of issues such as um, culture, heritage, etc., that's all played a part in terms of the decisions that they've made around. You know, when we say, well, you know, when they're told, well, you know, you need to leave the situation with your children. Well, if you look at it through that particular woman's uh, uh, experience and 
understand what's happening in terms of, you know, using that intersectionality. There's a range of different things that are, that, that are having an influence and influence why certain decisions are made. Um, so I think that's just one example of, of how that sort of plays out at a local level. And as I say, I don't think that's a unique situation to Bedford by any stretch of the imagination. My last question, really, and, you, and you've touched on it throughout, um, but if you could just maybe elaborate a bit on what you anticipate um, the challenges and opportunities might be for, for Bedford as a local authority over the six to 12 months and how you might address them and also thinking about who you, who you need along that journey to make things happen. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think one of the challenges is always, and I, I think I touched on this earlier, I think the, the, the challenge is always trying to get everybody on the same page um, in terms of the partnership um, and having the right people and the right engagement from partners at the right level. So we need to make sure that otherwise what, what, what we get is a, a quite a disjointed approach. And what I suppose looking at, looking at that through the experience of families, um, what we know is, is that, for example, if our police colleagues take a particular approach, then we take a particular approach, or if health take a particular approach, I think that can make it quite difficult, um, not only for, for multi-agency working, but also for the family in terms of that sort of mixed message that, that we're giving. And that's, so I suppose that that is one of the biggest challenges. Um, having said that, we do have some excellent partnership working relationships and um, we're able to have those those conversations and I think we are moving towards and I mentioned safe certainty earlier I think we are as a partnership moving towards you know working with safe uncertainty and I, I think um, that's taken some time we've still got some more distance to go um, and I think that um, have it, as I've said, having the right people around the table to have those conversations is going to be key to this. Um, so that's some of the challenges. Obviously, the continuing challenges, we are not out of the pandemic yet. So a lot of work that we're doing whilst we continue, we've continued to do face-to-face -face work, there is other work which I think has been impacted in terms of you know direct work with families. Um, so that's a challenge for us. I think that in other part from what I um, learned from through the change project and just know generally there are other areas in the country which are ahead of us in terms of work with fathers, um, in terms of some of the approaches that they're using. Um, so I, I think that we as a partnership need to have those conversations and adopt a model which is which is sort of accepted by all um which and i think that is going to be a challenge and an opportunity quite frankly Brilliant. thank you harmash um i think i will draw it to a close there but before i do is there anything else you want to add um before we end um, yeah, the thing that I'd like to add is that I think this is going to be a continuing conversation. Um, I don't think that 
I think that whilst the, the new domestic abuse act is a, a welcome um, sort of, you know, it, it's welcome, it's, um, and it does place a greater duty on local authorities and agencies to respond. I, I suppose I, I don't, we shouldn't fall into the trap that that is going to be the panacea to, to addressing issues of domestic abuse. And I think we have to be careful about just relying on legislation. And this is about changing practice. This is about changing how we work with families. And we, we can do that. And we need to, we need to not, um, as I say, fall into that trap, which is we're doing this because now we're legally obliged to do it. Actually, we have a, we, we have a, a moral and ethical duty um, to do this. And as practice leaders, we need to make sure that we are um, driving practice in the right direction. And, and, and as I say, um, doing that in a, in a way which is, which is helpful for families going through the most difficult circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, and I think the new act will bring a whole other set of, of, of new challenges and considerations for local authorities. Um, but often it's about listening to, to families, isn't it? Um, and like you said, foregrounding the voices of, of um, lived experience, like through your partnership board, etc., cetera, um, where a lot of that learning is actually um, most useful potentially. Yeah. And, yeah. and so one other thing, if I may add, Jess, I mean, I, I thought the programme was excellent. It was, it was brilliant. It was lovely to meet people from around the country. And I think this conversation needs to continue to happen in that vein. It needs to be a, whilst there are, there are always unique challenges for, you know, different authorities, um, you know, and different communities around the country, there are very similar themes. And, and I think that, you know, it's always, always helpful to share information and practice, Kate's free, um, what they brought was a real research evidence base to this, which was, and, and I think that, that, that gives it real credibility. It's not, this is not stuff that, you know, we're just, you know, thinking this would be a good idea. This is, you know, it's really based in, in research and evidence and, and, that, and that's the way forward. And as you said, bringing in the lived experience um, just makes it incredibly powerful. It makes it a, a, an impre incredibly powerful argument. Thank you, Harmesh. Well, I'll, um, it's been great to speak to you. And, uh, Good to speak to you. We'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening to this Research in Practice podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at ResearchIP.com.